every year the uh, publishing industry uh, puts out uh, books as to how to find success. Uh, you, I mean, you see them advertised everywhere. Some in, in great investor who learned how to invest money and make kajillions of dollars. You buy his book, he'll teach you to be a successful investor or a successful housewife, a successful husband, a successful student, and on and on and on. Well, we encountered this morning uh, a great success book, a great success story uh, as we begin Isaiah chapter 49 uh, because it is the commissioning of the servant's son and it is also the success of the servant's son. What's a lesson for us? How do we have success as Christians? How do we find success in our particular commission uh, as God has appointed us uh, in the world in which we live uh, to be a light to this world? Uh, it's an important uh, story because it marks a, a shift in the structure of prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, it's a shift away from the failure of the nation of Israel to a true Israel to the servant son. Uh, if you think about it, it's captured in the final verse of the major section, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Those who are idolaters will have no peace. Uh, peace is a synonym for success. Uh, there is no peace to those who compromise their faith in God. So how do we have peace? We begin Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, of the raising up of true Israel, the servant's son, who will be successful, and that there is peace in him, a final peace, an everlasting peace, a peace that will break upon us as the waves do the seashore, a peace like a river in, of course, uh, the servant's son. So it's a great shift structurally in the prophecy of Isaiah from the failure of the nation uh, who would not fully leave Babylon, who would not give up their idols, to the raising up of a new Israel, Christ, who will be successful. In verses 1 to 4, the servant is commissioned, uh, and then he is, I'm going to make up a new verb here, mission. He's given a mission. Again, he's, he's consecrated, verses 1 to 4, and he's missioned with the promise of success, verses 5 to 6. And I might remind you, in terms of a success story, his success becomes our success. And that there is absolutely no success outside of him or apart from him. The, the political solutions of Cyrus now begin to fade. It's the previous uh, section that we studied, God was going to raise up a deliverer in Cyrus, begins to fade. Isaiah now shifts to the greater provision of spiritual renewal in the servant's son. And that is true success. Our culture is infatuated totally with finding success in political rulers. Ultimately, there's no success in political rulers. That's why Cyrus fades. Ultimately, success is in the success accomplished by the servant's son, the spiritual renewal that he will accomplish. Uh, it's the only hope of success. Uh, the controversy, of course, I divert here momentarily, is who is he? Who is the servant's son? His identity. 
Uh, as you might well know from our study of Isaiah chapter 42, is this the nation of Israel or is it Messiah? Uh, again, I think the prophet answers that question in a number of ways. Uh, Israel fails. The servant's son does not fail. He succeeds. He fulfills the commission that Israel never did or could do to say nothing of the fact that the New Testament authors apply this servant song to Christ. The greater question is, if it's the nation of Israel, how can the nation save itself? It cannot. And so God's going to raise up a greater Israel, the servant son, who will be successful, and that success is ultimately and only found in him, the servant son. Let's look at his commission, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Messiah is speaking. He says, listen to me. One of the great counsels of success is to hear the word of the Lord comes uh, from uh, the mouth of the Savior. And I love the words in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, and therefore the application is, hear him. Learn to shut out all other voices and hear him and give attention to him. So he cries to the, to the nations, listen to me. Again, it's a great cultural reminder. Our, our culture more and more is given to 24-7, hearing the voices of music and, and whatever is found on the Internet and on and on. We, we have every measure of technology to hear every voice. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But give attention to the servant son who is successful, who says, listen, listen to me. Pay attention is the parallel, you people from afar. So he's going beyond just the nation of Israel to all of the nations. It is remarkable that he will be successful, not just locally to the nation of Israel, but universally and globally to all the nations. That is incredible success. I mean, a businessman may start a company, might be incredibly successful in the United States or in Oklahoma City, but worldwide success and ultimately true success, the success that is the peace of God is found only in the servant who commands our attention. The, uh, the content of what he commands, he says, pay attention, is his installation and consecration by God, he says, from the womb of, of uh, his mother. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named me. That's a fairly common divine formula for the consecration uh, of God to, to a prophet. Let's, let's look at a couple of, two instances, of course, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, the fifth verse. Uh, Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, God speaking to the prophet, I knew you. It's not just cognition. It's much more than cognition. It's the love of God for the prophet Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Incredible power of God uh, setting his, his uh, call upon the prophet before he was even born. 
And I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The purposeful calling of the prophet Jeremiah occurred before he was even born. God's election, God's eternal love set upon his people. Another reference to this is, uh, again, to remind you as you turn to the book of Galatians, that it's purposeful for Jeremiah, it's purposeful for Christ. Our calling and consecration is also purposeful. God sets us here for a reason. Uh, abiding question is, how do we find success in his calling and consecration? Uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah will tell us. Uh, but the Apostle Paul uh, uses uh, just uh, these words of his own calling. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. Uh, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased, notice the purposefulness, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In a way, that's God's consecration to our lives. Before we were even born, he knew us. He set his affections upon us. He called us from eternity past. And he consecrates us to be witnesses. How do we find success in that? It's a difficult, difficult calling. Well, again, Isaiah is going to tell us and give us the success formula, if you will. Uh, the particular service for the servant son is specified in verse 2. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands, he has concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. God makes his mouth sharp, like a sharp sword and a select arrow. The uh, language here is that of weapon. It's a weapon. God's going to make his mouth a weapon to do certain things. Uh, let's look at uh, antithetical uses uh, to this language. Psalm chapter 57, uh, verse 4. This is the negative connotation of a mouth being a weapon, a sword. Again, 57th Psalm in the fourth verse. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Now, by the way, if you're in distress in your life, so was the psalmist. Uh, pouring out his distress before the Lord. But notice what he says. Uh, Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Men are trying to consume him with evil words and destroy him. Uh, the negative use of uh, that which is positively found uh, in uh, the servant son, that God is going to make him a positive force, not to destroy, but to create life. But, but it gives you the force of the imagery. Uh, I'm among men whose, whose mouths are like sharp swords. Uh, by the way, that, that, that is true as well in make application to churches. If churches reject the solitary perfections of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, then those who step into the pulpit to preach such uh, are weaponized to destroy their congregations because their mouths create error to destroy. And Christ is just the opposite. He creates life from his word. Uh, one book over, the book of Proverbs, chapter 5 and verse 4. It's very interesting use here. Again, it's a negative antithetical use as to what's positively found prophecy of Isaiah respecting Christ, that his mouth is a sword, but 
uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 4. Uh, it speaks of a competitor. Uh, the book of Proverbs is, is calling forth the young man, the son, or the young woman, to be faithful to Christ. And young men face competitors in this world, and those competitors come at them with sharp swords. In this case, uh, it's the harlot. And she comes as a competitor to seek the affections of the young man as over against God who seeks his affections. And uh, how was the harlot described to the young man? Because Solomon is warning the young man that there's a competitor in his midst vying for his affections. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she is bitter as one word, sharp as a two-edged sword. In other words, she will destroy you if you follow her com competitive words that over against the words of wisdom from Solomon and ultimately the words from Christ, who speaks words uh, uh, to heal, uh, to give life. Uh, his, uh, his words make alive. Uh, the words of a competitor uh, destroy. Uh, words are weaponized. To, to either affect uh, ruin or uh, salvation, restoration. So Messiah comes with a word and revelation about God. It is an ultimate writing for us that success is in him. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That God, if you will, weaponizes the word in his son to go and to create life and just to create destruction as well, because he will destroy his enemies. Uh, New Testament authors that use this metaphor of uh, words as a sharp sword uh, speak to uh, the judicial function uh, of the word of God. Very important function of the word of God. Hebrews, we find it, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of the joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. One of the ways to find success in the world, in speaking to people or in the way of error, is to use the word of God. You can't pierce the soul, but the word of God can. It can lay the soul bare. Now, why is that important? Well, verse 13, for there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Important judicial function of the word of God to keep us from error. Uh, another illustration where the word is uh, spoken of as a sharp sword. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, the 16th verse. Use this as an illustration as to how not to find success. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. In his right hand, speaking of Christ, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. This is a uh, vision of Christ given to the professing church. Of a judicial function of the word of God. 
that Jesus not only does battle with evil, but he also is against all who compromise their faith. And that's the point of the book of the Revelation. Professing Christians are compromising their faith. And therefore, John begins initially to confront them with the majesty of Christ who, whose word uh, will wage war with those who play fast and loose with his word, with his church, and who compromise their faith in idolatry. The power of the word of God. Reminder us that the success is never to be found in idolatry. It's never to be found in seeking peace with this world, compromising your faith just to get along, to be popular with your family. Found, of course, in being faithful to the word of God. Apostle Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 6, that we should arm ourselves with a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To do battle with this world, you must be armed. You must be weaponized with the Word of God. You absent the Word of God from your life, uh, you will find yourself overcome by the world. You will find yourself defeated uh, in a bad way. Therefore, success spiritually is always going to point to the Scriptures, the Word of God, and to Christ as the eternal Word of God. So we too must identify with, with Messiah and His Word. But there follows a very unique description of the Word. Uh, the, the, the Messiah speaking, the servant son says that he's concealed in the shadow of the hand of God. God has hidden him in his quiver. Very unique imagery. Typically, you, uh, uh, if you're engaging in battle, you don't stick your arrow in your quiver. Uh, you don't sheathe your sword. What God's going to do to his son. Uh, Messiah, in many respects, is ready for use, but he, but he comes into the world incognito hidden, concealed. Uh, that's why, in many respects, the nation missed him. I mean, think about it in this way. Uh, he, he comes rejecting fanfare of national expectation. Uh, we learned from the first sermon song, he didn't raise his voice in the streets. Uh, he doesn't walk down the streets uh, telling the newsmen to look at him. Uh, he doesn't go and give a bunch of news interviews. He, he conceals himself. He's not after the popular expectation. In that sense, he's hidden. Now, even his birth speaks to, not, to that, does it not? Born in a manger? A borrowed place where animals were born and kept uh, safe from uh, uh, inclement weather? In the sense that he comes so incognito that the nation was going to miss him because they wanted Messiah to come and defeat Rome, a great conquering hero. We sometimes look at Christ that way. Uh, Christ, you're majestic and powerful. Rescue me from all my distresses. Defeat my enemies. Destroy them. Slay them with the breath of your mouth. And in the process, make me rich and heal me from everything. That's uh, it's not the imagery that Christ says that he's given to. He's, he's hidden in the hand of God set in a quiver as a sharp arrow. Uh, you know, there's a couple cases in the Gospels where Christ betrays his, his majesty and identifies himself with the God of the Old Testament. And what does the nation of Israel do? They pick up stones to kill him. And he's hidden from them and escapes from their midst. They were like angry mobs. How did he escape? God hid him. Uh, 
in his right hand, put a shadow over him so that he could escape. Good reminder that as our Savior encountered difficult circumstances, uh, it was in the hand of God, the determinative uh, plan, time of God, uh, to give him success when he chose. Uh, it's, uh, you won't find that in any success manual that I'm aware of, but it's the success manuals of Scripture. It's in the eternal determinative counsel of the majesty of God as to when, when we will have success uh, in his eternal purposes. From his, from his uh, our Savior's consecration to service, his identity with the word, let's, let's look at his identity himself. Uh, verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. Well, I understand this is uh, rife with incredible controversy. Uh, if this is Messiah, and I believe that it is, because the nation couldn't save itself, and because the New Testament authors ascribe this song to Christ, uh, Messiah is reconstituting Israel in himself. He is assuming the failed role of the nation. He sums up in himself what Israel was to be. Israel has failed in its idolatry. And that idolatry, by the way, carries into the New Testament. They love their traditions more than they love the word of God. They made their traditions into idols, and therefore they failed. Christ assumes himself in a corporate sense, the identity of the failed nation, and sums up true Israel beginning with himself. Again, that sense he's a corporate figure. In Messiah, God is reconstituting true Israel and all saved by Messiah will become new Israel in him. Ultimately, that's how any success can be had in life. Uh, to align yourself with a king Messiah and a servant son and to become new Israel in him. Furthermore, God is going to show his servant son glory ultimate, all success, verse 3, in whom I will show my glory. Uh, by the way, we know that God will show his glory to his church in the heavens. You want eternal success. It's in the eternal son that God is going to show glory to and make glorified. Our problem is, is we want glory now. God, heal me now. God, make me rich now. God, take away all my anxiety now. That's an over-realized eschatology that's not found in Scripture. Not to say that God won't help us with our anxieties, that God won't sometimes heal us from our diseases. Those are locked in the eternal counsels of God, but ultimately true healing and true peace is found only in God the Son. And we are made to wait and to look to him, to wait upon him, true success, waiting upon the Lord. But it is our reminder that if he is successful, we will be successful in him. And here, uh, Messiah says that God will show him, God will show him glory, and therefore he's going to achieve eternal success, and all who are in him will be successful. Well, given the weight of the commission, something very unique happens. 
Messiah recoils from the weight of the duty. Verse 4. I've told in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. That's going to be amplified in the final servant song. But he recoils from the weight of the commission. He's going to labor his life virtually in vain, almost for nothing. But he comes into this world and he is the consecrated son of God, the true Israel. And how does he end his life? Virtually all of his apostles rejecting, turn away, fear and cowardice, and the nation puts him upon a cross. Not exactly a definition of success. Reminder, sometimes we walk that path. Thinking, God's called me to be a great preacher, preacher, and I'll pack, I'll pack out the service every Sunday, 24-7. I'll, I'll be in the newspaper. I'll be in television programs. I'll, all my books will be everywhere. Interesting, Jesus didn't have such success. Seemingly, he toiled in vain. I suspect some of you are experiencing some of that. Lord, I've been faithful all my life, and I'm toiling in vain. It's as if I pedal the bicycle, but I go nowhere. It's a stationary bike. I've been faithful to you. I've trusted your promises, and what do I get? Be careful with that. Remember the work of the servant's son, who seemingly toiled in vain, but that God will give him success. He... He recovers from the weight of his commission. Final part of verse 4. Yet surely justice due me is with the Lord. My reward is with my God. In your toiling in vain in your spiritual life, ultimately it's in the hand of God. Uh, wait upon him. Trust in him. Uh, the justice due you is in his hands, not yours. And perhaps might not even be in this life. Remember, our Lord went to the cross and died and rose again. That was his greatest of all success, and he was uh, promoted to the right hand of God the Father. Sometimes we must wait, uh, but God will give us success in the servant son. His reward is with God and not with the ways of men, sometimes not even in this life. So he recovers. Overwhelmed, he will not be overcome. He trusts in God. His life is lived in God's hands, and God will vindicate him and give him success. It's a reality that you and I face in life, the threat of failure. Uh, you ever talk to a missionary who went to some deep, dark place like, say, Asia, the Middle East? I promise you they didn't have great numerical success. But they were simply faithful to God, and that's successful. Don't define success in any other way but a life of faith. We look for numbers. Missionaries come back from the world, wherever they've been, and we want to hear about the thousands they won for Christ. And that's not what we should listen for. We should listen that they presented the message of the gospel faithfully, and that is success. Our Savior trusted God even upon the cross. That is success. In your life, you may have this sense that you told in vain. You were faithful to God, that's success. Waiting upon him, your justice is in his hands. When you are aligned with the message and the ministry of Messiah and you're walking by faith, that's programmed for success. Because it's in him, by him, for him, and through him. It's a good reminder that 
everywhere in Scripture we read of men recoiling in the way to the service of God. We didn't study Isaiah chapter 6, but I'll just simply remind you that uh, God consecrated Isaiah to be a prophet to the nations, and God, uh, Isaiah recoiled. He said, my, my lips are unclean. How can I do what you want me to do? My lips are unclean. God gives him new lips. Purifies his lips. It's a parody against idolatry. That's the hope, the way of success that God gives us, if you will, new hearts, new minds, and new mouths to speak his word. That's success. So the identity here is a corporate person, and all who are in him are true Israel, and all who are in true Israel, namely in Christ, will have ultimately success uh, by God the Father. Let's look at the purpose of the identity of the Son, final two verses, and here that's changed. In the first four verses, Messiah was speaking, now God speaks. A reminder that divine appointments lead to service. Uh, we have that in the Son. Uh, the text constitution constitutes, pardon me, a mission statement. Uh, first, the mission statement is to bring back Jacob and together Israel. And so Messiah is appointed to go and to recover uh, Israel. I believe a remnant among Israel. And so what does Jesus do when he comes in his earthly ministry? He goes first to the house of Israel. Matthew chapter 10, he tells his disciples, he commissions them. He says, I want you to go proclaim me that peace is found in me, but do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Go first to the house of Israel. He's fulfilling uh, the calling that God gave him to do from this servant song. Uh, he's going to go and he's going to rescue the remnant of Israel. He appoints 12 apostles as a parallel to the 12 tribes. They constitute the first portion of that remnant. First portion of the book of Acts, consumed by the apostle Peter. And Peter's ministering to the nation of Israel, gathering a remnant from the nation. But then the mission expands universally and globally. Notice the text. It's going to raise up not just the tribes of Jacob, restore the preserved ones of Israel. I'll also make you a light to the nations. Uh, by the way, if you were saying, well, uh, Socks, I heard you say gathering a remnant. I don't know that I read that in the text. Well, we just read it. Christ comes and he saves a remnant of Israel and a remnant from nations. Uh, well, how did I get that? Well, look at verse 6. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. The preserved ones is a synonym for the remnant that he's going to save among the nations as well as among ethnic Israel. In the case of the latter commissioning to service, he's going to be a light to the nations. We looked at this earlier in Isaiah 42 in verse 6, the first servant song. Was he successful in that? Light is a metaphor for salvation. It's interesting that Luke identifies Christ as the fulfillment of this. Uh, you recall, in fact, let's just turn to Luke chapter 2. There's a man from Jerusalem named Simeon, and he wanted to see the fullness of the expectation of God restoring Israel. And he takes the infant Jesus and holds him in his arms. 
And again, verse 32. He says of Christ, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He sees in Christ, Luke sees in Christ the fulfillment, the success of the servant son. In an infant, imagine that. The success of God, a light to the nations. Jesus says in John 8, John 9, I'm the light of the world. Again, it's a reminder that his mission goes beyond the preserved one is Israel, the preserved ones are the Gentiles, but to cover uh, the nations, to gather his people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He was purposeful in his mission, consecration by God. Was he successful? He seemingly went to the cross and died and nothing really happened. No, he comes back and he commissions his apostles. Let's look at a uh, reminder of that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Mission statement to the apostles. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The mission now is transferred to the twelve to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, go to Israel. Peter does that. Go to the ends of the earth. Paul does it. They're successful. Reminder of the majesty of God. The mission of Messiah is transferred to the Messianic community and they're commissioned to go to the nations because God is a light to the nations. It's a Messianic mission. The book of Acts is the fulfillment of that. Peter was successful. Paul was successful because they aligned themselves with the mission of Christ, the servant son, the Messiah. How can we say that's so? Let's, look at, let's, let's isolate one because of time the Apostle Paul. He quotes Isaiah 49 in his ministry at Antioch. Turn Acts chapter 13. The success of the Apostle Paul. He's uh, preaching. The Jews uh, become spiteful of him. And their response causes him to turn to the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Seemingly a defeat turns the Apostle Paul to the nations. There are no defeats in the economy of God. God is always successful, every time, all the time. And his son, the Messiah, will be successful all the time and every time. And all who are in him will have success because of who he is. He turns to the Gentiles and he cites Isaiah 49 as the reason for his turning, Acts chapter 13. 47th verse. For thus the Lord has commanded us, I placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What's unique about this text is the Apostle Paul applies Isaiah 49 to himself. He's not Messiah, of course. But he has aligned himself with Messiah and the word of Messiah so it applies to him. And he executes the calling of God to the servant son as an extension of the success of his consecration to service as Messiah. All I'm simply doing is acknowledging uh, that Paul was successful and the servant son was successful. How could they not be? They represent the word of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that after the book of Acts we read and the word of God was advancing? 
and the word of God was calling the church, uh, and the word of God was successful. How is that? It's the word of the Lord. It's the word that comes from the mouth of Christ, that God has ordained to be successful. And so uh, the consecration, the service of the Son is successful, of the church is successful, of the apostolic ministry is successful, uh, because that is the way of God. Uh, it's also represented for us in uh, Acts chapter 26, the success of the consecration to service of the servant son, Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 26 in its 13th verse. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. So the apostle Paul is on the road to Damascus and God interdicts him in a light, a light so powerful it blinds him. Remember what Jesus said, a light to the nations. That light has just interdicted the apostle Paul on his way to do evil and won him to the kingdom of God. So the light is successful, is it not? By the way, the Apostle Paul represents one of the preserved ones of Israel. He was an ethnic Jew, a remnant that God saves. The power of the word of God, the presence of Christ, the success of the servant son, now reaching into the heart of the Apostle Paul. I mean, in many respects, it's how God reached you. You were wandering around, groping in darkness. You didn't have a clue. And in, in the words of Luke, Acts chapter 13, God opened your heart. The power of the word of God, the success of the servant son to reach the nations, to reach the remnant of Israel and the remnant, remnant among uh, the nations. Look at verse 23, that Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That's the entire summary of the book of Acts. He's light to the preserved ones of Israel, and he's light to the Gentiles. How did Paul know that? Paul experienced the reality of it. If you're a Christian, you've experienced the reality too. If you're not a Christian, come to the Son. Align yourself with the servant Son. Believe upon him and his work upon the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll experience success. Your Christian life might be filled with distress and seeming defeats, but God will turn it all to ultimate victory just like he did to his son upon the cross. What seemingly to the world was catastrophic defeat was the ultimate success of the people of God who was resurrected and advanced in session to the right hand of God the Father where he will judge the world and rescue his people and none will be lost. Profoundly love the words in the Gospel of John. All that the Father has given me, I lose none. Imagine saying that about all the quarters you've held in your pocket throughout your life. He keeps all of his own, totally successful. He loses none. That's success. That's the success of the servant son. That's the success of the Messiah. You want success? I mean, I understand we all want to be promoted. We all want to have success with our investments or whatever. We want to have success in our gardens. I don't know what success is to you, but I know from Scripture what is success. That is to align yourself with true Israel, the servant son. A light to the nation of Israel and a light 
to the ends of the earth and that God will glorify himself in his son and he will lead many sons to glory in Messiah. Great reminder. The success of the servant in saving and fulfilling the eternal purposes of God. Well, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 6, this uh, second servant song, speaking to Messiah who is reconstituting Israel itself because ethnic Israel has not forsaken their idolatry. And so God raises up a new Israel. All who are aligned with him will come to the peace of God that surpasses understanding, will find ultimate success and heavenly glory in the work of the servant son. You have not aligned yourself with Christ. I have, in an antithetical way, given you the parallel to eternal, everlasting, total, catastrophic ruin. There's only success in the servant son who reconstitutes Israel in himself and who will succeed where Israel failed. I might say that in every endeavor in life, his true success. He forgets none of his own. And he will lead all of his sons to glory. In the midst of your many toils and troubles and snares of life, God has his hand upon you just as he had his hand upon his son. And he will in his time, in his way, and his purposes lead you to everlasting glory. He did it to his son upon the cross. And he will do it, therefore, to all of his sons who are aligned with him. May God be gracious to you in your quest for success. That you might find it ultimately and only in him who the Lord has blessed with eternal glory, even Christ our Savior.